and I thought, oh, this is just absolutely amazing, you know? So there's things that can affect your eyes and your... All right. Galadosis does a good job. The what? Galadosis. Oh, wonderful. Beautiful stuff. <laughs> Beautiful. Ready? Yep. Hef. Tent wall. Outside. Divide. Have. Make it have. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart, gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statute. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend, I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love. O oh Lord, teach me your decrees. Mm -hmm. Very <coughs> wonderful. Can you say yach? Yeah. Now take the and put it at the beginning of uh, the. There you go. What did you say? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you you got to start with the end of the yach, and then that's how you pronounce that. Anyway, we've got a couple things here. We'll get that one later. Um, uh, let's see here. This is someone asked, they don't want their name mentioned, but they asked uh, who attends online for prayer for their son and daughter who are on crystal meth. And the son has been considering rehab, but then when uh, there was a conversation and all of a sudden it turned into this big argument, and it, it's just this terrible spiritual attack for this person. And and uh, so she asked for prayer specifically for her family. And, of course, we have Paul who is I know, just he's miserable right now, so we need to keep him in prayer. And we've got our friend Nancy out in California who's had uh, bronchitis for like two weeks now and it's just it's not getting better so you know just there as always there are just people all over that are asking for prayers and and uh well we got him but we don't have an answer yet yeah, so put him on the list. well that's true we got somebody in here that's still waiting to hear about his cancer whether he has it or not and you know so we're waiting on that one and uh yeah just it's just so punishing. And, you know, I was thinking uh, a couple, when I was mowing, what was it, two days ago, one of the places I came, I was saying uh, uh, people that say how great it's going to be when they get older haven't gotten older yet. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> they, they just don't know how bad it is. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, just exalt you and praise you for who you are. And, of course, we pray for all of the people that are out there that are you know, they email with their troubles. We know of their troubles. We uh, hear about them through friends, or we have friends that are praying for other people. And um, it just comes to mind as our sister Lisa out in uh, Oregon, who's got a uh, broken collarbone, and how debilitating that is when you can't move and you're trying to get things done. And uh, just, Lord, we pray for these people. We certainly do. And you know who all of them are, and we would pray that you would be with them and help them through these trials. And uh, we thank you for the chance once again to come together and to meet here and to pray to you, to praise you, to worship you, and to study this wonderful word that you have given us. We thank you for it. We ask that uh, you would just bless this time and uh, help us to stick closely to your word and to not deviate from its precepts. Lord, we give you praise and glory and honor for who you are and for what you've done. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy. Um, Let's see here. We're in 
Romans 6 verse 5 is where we're at, yep. and uh, we went through the baptism verses last week, which is something we just need to do once in a while, you know, to make sure that people understand that issue. And uh, somebody emailed me about, um, I think they're in Canada, they are, and they emailed, you know, about certain things, and one of the questions they asked was, uh, what about Seventh-day Adventists, and uh, is it okay to attend their church? And you know, I I wanted I don't want to give people just bad news and say, well, don't go there. They're a cult or this or that. So I go to the website and I linked the things. And if you went to their website and you read it, you know, just just the first couple of things, you think this is a great church. You know, I mean, you would just think this is a great church. But then you go a little further and you read a little more. And I started gathering links together for him. And, that, you know, because like baptism, they say that's a picture of you going to Christ. And you think, oh, that's that's exactly right, you know. And, but they start deviating. The further you go into there, now they've taken out a lot of the stuff about Ellen G. White. Uh, yeah, people know that she was a false prophetess, and they still mention her, but you have to look for it now. But they hold to her teachings, and her teachings are incorrect. You know, they, they believe this. She had this prophecy that the Lord was going to turn, I think, return, I think it was 1844. And uh, when he didn't, surprise, surprise, then they just changed their theology and said that he set up a spiritual kingdom, a heavenly kingdom in that year. And it's proved by this goofy calculation they came up with. The world is so full of this stuff. People send me at least 20 times a week. I get sent this thing about uh, 23 September, which is coming. Have you all seen what? that? No. But I've seen so many of them. I just well, I know. It, that's, so but 23 September, I, I'm telling you, if you go to the, the some of these pastors that are preaching this, hundreds of thousands of views. I'll tell you in a sec. It, it, but it, it, people just eat this stuff up. 23 September, there's some signs in the sky. There's uh, an alignment of stars. They're saying the rapture is going to happen. And when people send that to me, I always say the same thing. It just doesn't interest me. It, it doesn't interest me. If you want to believe that, if you want to put your hope in that, that's fine, but I will be having dinner on the 24th of September, and I'll be enjoying it. And if the Lord comes, then it didn't matter anyway. But if he doesn't come, all we've done is make ourselves look stupid once again. So when people email me things like that, I will try to give them the information that I think is relevant. The Seventh-day Adventist, whether it's baptism, whether it's any of these doctrinal issues, and when it's something that is off of that, especially a prophecy stuff, I just tell them, it doesn't interest me, you're going to have to go somewhere else to get an answer, because I don't look at that, I don't want to speculate, I don't. I just don't want to talk about those issues. This book will validate itself, and when something happens, we can go back and we can say, now I see. Mm. It's not a, a tool for divination, it's not a tool for us to say, this is going to happen on this day. And when, you know, and the one guy in particular that has this uh, this sermon. He's got, like I say, 150,000 views or something on it. And you go back and look at his older things, wrong prediction, wrong prediction. He hasn't deleted them or anything. Oh and I'm thinking, goodness. why would you watch this guy now oh when you look at all of his older sermons and they're wrong, wrong, wrong? One of the things he says, I was looking at just at the titles. And one of the titles said, um, how did it say it? It says, nobody knows the day or hour. And then he goes, dot, dot, dot. Oh, really? And I thought, talk about somebody that I wouldn't I wouldn't click on one of his sermons if you paid me. For him to question what the Lord has said in his word and to say, oh, really, as if he knows, and then he was wrong, you know? I don't know. Well, people are drawn to that because it gets them out of the miserable rut they're in. Instead of reading this book and the hard work that it takes, they want an easy answer to their problems. 
And so every three months, somebody else will come out. The four blood moons, they come out with Jonathan Kahn, and we're going to be out of here in uh, September of 20, what was it, 15? Oh. On and on. It goes, uh, just don't send me that. we got to get into this study. Yeah, I should, should explain a little. Oh, go ahead. Biblical signs in the sky, September 23rd, That's 2017. It. The Catholic astronomer. Oh, the Catholic astronomer is getting into it. See, everybody's getting into it. And it just, I, it's not relevant. I've said it many times. If it happens, wonderful. We're out of here. And if it doesn't happen, these people are going to be proved wrong and nobody's going to care. They're going to watch their next stupid video. They're just going to keep, you know, looking for it. Looking for it. Best to do is to be about our business, to learn this word, and to tell people about Jesus. Yep. Not worry about these goofy things that, uh, uh, come up again and again and again without any valid, without any basis in reality at all. Don't get into that kind of stuff. And if you do, don't ask me about it because I don't want to get into it. I, it does not interest me. I know what the Bible says will happen in the future, and that's why I do a prophecy update on Sundays. And it's showing a picture of what the world is like right now. It's not predicting anything. It's not saying there was something, though, that he said earlier, and I'm not going to say it right now, but it's about the uh, rapture. It was very interesting. How do we know if there's a pre-trib rapture or a mid-trib rapture? And it, it's based on something in Revelation chapter 8. And it's very interesting. So I may bring that up sometime, but I'm not going to bring it up in this class. Okay. Um, <laughs> verse 6, 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Okay, um, I, I was in the wrong place. I was in John 6. So let me, okay, 6-5. I'm going to read it as well in case it didn't match what you read. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, sounds like what you read, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Sounds almost the same as what I remember you reading. So there you go. Um, let's see here. Uh, verse 6-5, my comments. This verse details the glory of the resurrection for the believer in Christ. Four. Okay, it begins with four, as a result of what will be mentioned. Let me read it again. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. He's setting up a, a condition, and then he's going to make an explanation of it. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Paul says, this is referring to our state as noted in 6, 3, and 4. We were baptized into Christ Jesus and into his death. The word Paul selects for united is the Greek word sumphutoi, okay? This is the only occurrence of the word in the New Testament. It means planted. We have been planted as a seed in the same manner as Christ. The word designates a congenital, innate, and implanted characteristic by birth or by nature. A good comparison of this is the vine and its branches. Christ is the main portion of the vine, and we, through faith in him, are granted into his very nature. That's what Paul is saying right there. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, if we have been planted, we are just like him in that respect, okay? We are in the likeness of his death, then what? Because of this, the uniting in his death, the explanation of for is given, which is certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. He's making a comparison. If we've been planted with him in his death, then we will be like him in his resurrection. Does everybody know that Christ was resurrected into a glorified body? Everybody got that? Right, okay. That's what he's saying. We're going to have a body like his. Okay, that's the wonderful thing about being in Christ Jesus, is that we are not going to have these crummy bodies anymore. <laughs> they, they, I, I tell you what, as wonderful as they are, don't get me wrong, 
The Lord is marvelous in how he's created us. We've seen people that have been half blown apart in war, and now they can run races with, we can put titanium uh, things on them, and they can run faster than other people. The body recovered, and you know we were talking about you almost losing your sight, and then it came back. The Lord healed you. So uh, we have marvelous abilities in these bodies, but eventually they break down, then they just keep breaking down until the point where you're just, you're ready to go. And uh, that, you know, and you think of the world just as a side issue right now, what is the one thing that all of these scientists and all of these rich people are doing in the world right now? It's trying to find a way of immortality. How can we store a body? How can we preserve the body? How can we get a new, you know, one guy over in Germany is uh, getting ready to do the very first head transplant in the world, taking a head off of one body and putting it on another because this guy has a bad body. But that's a step they believe into immortality because you have your head, which is who you are, and when your body goes bad, you can get a new body. Somebody gets in a car accident, you just put it on there and you got a new, you know, whatever. And that's what they're, they're, they're trying all these things to live forever. Man, we don't need that. We're going to live forever. We will never, never die because we are in Christ Jesus. That's the good thing about Christ. Um, so uh, let's see here. The word united, going back to what he just said there, um, verse 6, 5, we, shall, uh, uh, we have been united together in the likeness of his death. The word united, as explained, signifies that we now bear his same nature in our spiritual self, even if not yet in our physical self. Our spiritual nature is guaranteed. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is a one-time-for-all-time deal. I, I, that's another thing. Please don't email me about how you can lose your salvation. If you want to know this verse, I don't understand. It seems to point to that. I will answer that question. But if you are intent on telling me that you can lose your salvation, there's no point in emailing me because it is firm, it is fixed, and the Bible is very clear on the matter. Like I said, if you have a question about a verse which you say, this seems to point to that, that's something I have no problem answering. But I, 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 I don't know why there is a need for people to try to change their pastor's theology. And it's not just me. This is all over the world. This is, people go in and they, they sit in a church and they say, well, you are wrong on this particular issue. Why do you want to change his, he's the pastor of that church, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's as what she just said is go to another church, is that people are setting their theology. Now, if the pastor is wrong on something, you can say, you know, that, that is clearly wrong from Scripture, and let's defend that. But, um, you know, one of the things that happened this past week is somebody says, you need to stop supporting Israel. Okay. Yeah, he said, and here was the argument. I know this is a side issue, but we're going to get to Romans 9 very soon, and when we get there, we're going to talk about this issue. Um, he said, you need to stop supporting Israel, and he said, because Israel was established, it was, you know, done, the work behind it was done by the Rothschilds, and we all know that they're satanic worshipers and all this kind of stuff, and, you know, all these these red herrings. And my answer back, I, I, I'm not going to quote what I said, but the Bible said that a group of people would be returned to the land of Israel, and they would call themselves Israel. And we know that it would happen on uh, 14 May of 1948. The Bible shows us that. We know after it happened, we can go back and we can say, look, this calculation shows us that. And then we know that in uh, June 7th of 1967, after that, they recaptured Jerusalem. And the Bible said that would happen also in the same amount of time. I said, I don't care how that group of people got back to Israel. It doesn't make any difference at all to me. It is a completely irrelevant side issue. Israel is back in the land. I don't care who did it. Here's a question for you. Who 
passed the edict that Israel would go back to uh, the, their land the first time. The um, uh, League of Nations. No, 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 the first time, after the, the Babylonian exile. Oh, uh, oh well, yeah. Cyrus. Cyrus, a pagan king, right? Does that mean it's an invalid thing because a pagan king had him go back? No, it, it had, it's irrelevant. God used a pagan king to take his people back to the land of Israel. For, he for used, good. That's right. He can use evil people. He can use any means he wants. It makes no difference to me that the Rothschilds may have been behind it. And people will find every conspiracy theory in the world to not support Israel. To me, that's irrelevant. God said that he was going to send them back into the land. I have never said that Israel was right with the Lord. They are not right with the Lord. But he has chosen them to be in that land, and I'm not going to work against that. He has determined that. And he says that they have seven more years to get it right, and that is when we are out of here, the tribulation period, they'll have that seven years to work through their issues. That It's irrelevant to me. It's like saying that I'm in America. I shouldn't support the country I'm in. I'm we in this hear country. That all the time. I know we do, but that—that's the whole point. Is that when somebody has a theological issue that they believe, all you're doing is beating yourself against the head by saying you shouldn't believe that. If I went to John Wesley today, even though he's dead, and I said you shouldn't believe Wesleyanism, and here's why, he'd say, "Well, why are you telling me that? I'm the one that wrote it. It's my doctrine." The Lord will sort it all out when we get there, right? It's fine to have discussions about things, but it's not fine to go to somebody and say, "You know what?" you got to stop this because of, and there's no biblical support. You just come out with these side issues, these red herrings. Don't do that. The word will stand for itself. We'll go on. It says um, his same uh, nature, our spiritual self, even if it hasn't been applied in our physical self, it is the absolute assurance of eternal salvation for everyone who believes. That's where I got off on that tangent. Once saved, always saved. That is something the Bible teaches. It's taught in this verse, and we're going to see it at least 40 more times in Romans. We're going to see it in Galatians. We're going to see it in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We're going to see it in Ephesians again and again and again. We're going to see it in the book of Colossians. Paul never contradicts himself when he says you are saved, and he weaves it into his writings, even if it's not explicit, that you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. Okay, don't take a verse from James, which is written to the Jews, and say, see, this verse contradicts that. It's written to the Jews. It's written for a specific purpose, and it's not Gentile-led church-age theology. Paul is, okay? So, um, we are alive spiritually right now. Right now, we have been regenerated in our spirit through Christ, and our physical bodies will become eternal bodies in the future as well. That's another thing, okay, is that when we are resurrected, we will have a physical body. We've talked about this before. A lot of people get this wrong because it says it's raised a spiritual body. It doesn't say a spirit body. It says a spiritual body. Right now, we don't have spiritual bodies. We have physical earthly bodies which are going to corrode, corrupt, and fall apart. Okay, When we die, they're going to go back to the dirt. That is not going to be the type of body that we have. It will be a physical body. It will be forever a physical body. As a matter of fact, that's one of the few things, and it's a little bit of a side issue, but it is one of the few issues that uh, defines a heresy. Heresies are things like Christ, his atonement wasn't all-sufficient. It was all-sufficient. If you say that his atonement was not all-sufficient, then you're a heretic. You can say that the virgin birth didn't happen. If you deny the virgin birth, you are a heretic. That doesn't mean you need to know that the virgin birth happened in order to be saved. Completely different issue. You cannot know anything about the virgin birth and still be saved. You're saved by Jesus coming out of the grave, and you believe that he is 
able to take away your sin. You might not understand all the theology. As a matter of fact, Burke and I were talking about something today that took us, what, 30 minutes to get through? It's so deep that it's coming up in this week's sermon that I said, I want to explain this to you because nobody else is going to get it. They're not going to understand it. And unless they get the sermon and read it, they're not going to get it. And he does. He reads the sermons every week. He doesn't watch them. And so when he reads them, I wanted to make sure he understood what I was writing because it's very hard to get this concept into words. But it, it's amazing, isn't it? Everything points to Jesus, including chapter 10 of Leviticus. And Are the second half is the what? Printouts of the... Uh... Sunday if you want it, I'll print one off for you. It's, well, it's, send me the link. I'll print it. Oh, okay. All right. Just remind me. Send me an email and remind me. I will. But, Get it on the superior word. Yeah, well, I it, want it, to get it before. Yeah, he wants it in, oh, in the church. So, yeah, oh. remind me and I'll do that. I'll be happy to do that. But there, these are things that, that are so, so wonderful to see. And that's why we're in the book of Romans is because it's so wonderful to see these things. But it's hard work. It takes a lot of, a lot of hard work determined study to understand theology. Uh, let's go to John 14, 9 about this. We are spiritually alive right now through Christ, and our physical bodies will become eternal bodies in the future as well. And when John, flipping to that, yes? let me just say that what I like most about listening to your Bible studies and sermons and stuff like that, that all the crumbs are there. That's right. That you can just like pick up, and if you're looking, it, first of all, what's a crumb? And then you got to like understand what a crumb is, and then you say, okay, great, now I know what to look for. It all pieces together. It all pieces together. And, and when something looks like it's sticking out sideways and not fitting, it's, it's there's, that way for a reason. There's a because, good reason for it. Right, right. Yeah. So, well, it's yeah. like, what was it, last week or two weeks ago, with all those names in one verse, and you haven't seen that for for how long? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, one verse, they got all these names. It's time to study what each name means because the Lord is giving you a picture of something. Wonderful stuff. Okay, John 14, 19 says... Um, 14, 19. Uh, yeah, 14, 19. I said 9, I think, but anyway. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Okay? So he's saying that he is going to die, he's going to live, and you will live also. He's telling them that, and uh, that's what's coming, is that uh, uh, we will have these spiritual bodies. We will be alive forever. And those bodies will never wear out. But they will be physical bodies. They will not be just, we're not going to be floating around in, in eternity, you know, as spirits. That's what angels are. Angels are spirit beings. We will have a spiritual body, but not a spirit body. And there's a difference there, okay? Um, anyway, uh, we'll go on. Um, the spiritual death, which reigned from Adam's fall in all humans, is now overcome through Christ. This is what Paul is referring us to. Jesus being spiritually alive because he did not inherit Adam's fallen nature confirmed that through him, uh, uh, that through him, those who follow him will be like him. That's what he's saying. He's saying that you had a, a fallen nature, but if you come to me, you will be like me. Okay, this is what Paul is telling us in Romans 6, 5. Having been united or planted with him in his death, we will have the same likeness of that of his resurrection. We're going to be just like him. And remember what he said. We should go to, where was it? Uh, John probably 21, maybe it's 20. And uh, it takes us right back to, oh, I didn't get through all of the heresies. I was talking about <laughs> one of the heresies, and that's remembering, I get off on these little side tangents, is to say that Christ did not resurrect in a physical body. 
That is heresy. <coughs> if you say he didn't do that, you are a heretic. The so Jehovah's plain. what's it? It's so plain. It's so obvious. But well, I, that's what I'm going to read you right now. Is the, <laughs> the story about Thomas is, and the reason why is because the Jehovah's Witnesses deny this. They say that he was raised a spirit being. Okay. They, they, and whatever reason, by denying the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are a heretic. You're saying that that um, uh, he was not an all-sufficient atonement, that his body, um, uh, what am I thinking of, was not reanimated, which is one of the conditions of the resurrection, is that your body is reanimated, okay? That he, uh, somehow, he wasn't the human being and that's what they say. Well, he was a mighty spirit being. He wasn't the son of God in the sense that he was of issued from God. They will say that he was created by God, and he's called God's son, just like we're called God's son, and all this crazy stuff. But if you deny a literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're a heretic. And it says... 2024. Uh, uh, 2024. Okay, we'll go there right now. It says, um, oh, yeah. Uh, now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to me, unless I see his hands, the print nails, and put my finger into the print nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What is he saying right there in that verse? What did he understand in that verse by saying that? That he was dead. That he was crucified. But more. What is he alluding to? He, they're saying they saw him. Resurrected body. Oh, a real resurrected right, 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 body, right. not a spirit body. Right. And that is, even the Jews understood this at the time, that there is a physical resurrection that is coming, not a spiritual resurrection. That is what Thomas is thinking of. He was doubting Thomas. He didn't believe them, but he's saying, well, you saw a spirit or something like that. I need to see the proof. He's doubting Thomas, but he's doubting Thomas with a thing on his mind. And that thing on his mind is a literal physical body. Okay, that's what he was looking for. You're right. So he says, um, and eight days after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut. People will say, you, have you read commentaries on this? Some of the goofiest commentaries in the world will say, well, he walked through the door. Um, he opened it. It was, they thought it was locked and they make up all kinds of excuses. He wrote very specifically in that passage for a reason. The doors are shut and all of a sudden he was there. He's telling us he has a literal physical body, and yet it can transcend this literal physical universe. That's what John is telling us. He's, he's making sure that we understand that the door wasn't opened. And all, go read some of the commentaries on that verse, and you will be astonished at how unliterally people want to take the Bible because they want to dismiss the reality of what Christ did. Anyway, he came in the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Christ knowing what Thomas said. There's no introduction. There's no, is everybody good here? He didn't ask it. He already knew what he was going to say. Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. In other words, I'm physical. Now you touch it. And another proof that he gave. What's another proof after the resurrection? He did something with the, he ate fish. That's right. And that's, that's right. So uh, where was that? That's um, later. Uh, come and eat breakfast and, uh, Anyway, he got fish, and so he ate with them. He had a literal body. He can eat, but he can also somehow get around the, the laws of physics and the laws of whatever, Newtonian this and that. It, it, so it, the, the point being is that we will have a body that is different than we have now, but it will be a literal physical body, and that's one thing that we can't get away from. When, when uh, 
uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Okay, and then he created man. How did he create man? From the dust of the earth. He took something that existed in order to make something else exist. And I'm talking about life coming from something that already existed. He didn't create something new in the sense that I'm going to create a man and plop him right here on the earth. He took something that he had already created and he created Adam, showing that that is a physical universe. It's a physical thing that he has created and he's taking a part of that creation to make the man. And that's an important theological concept as well, because we could say, well, he just, if, if it said that he created the man and it didn't tell that he created it from the creation already, then we could say, well, he's, you know, I, I don't know, you could come up with all kinds of conclusions that are not correct. But when it says he took the dust of the earth, something that is physical, and he created man from that, it's showing that he is using a physical, what he has created, a physical uh, material object in order to produce another object. And we have to call it creation because he, he didn't just take it and whip together a chair making something. He actually breathed life into it. So it was making something and then creating out of what he made. Okay, There's something new that's being introduced. It is the, the life that is an atom. Anyway, it's important to understand this, that we're talking about a physical universe and we're talking about a spiritual nature. And that spiritual nature was lost. And this that Paul is speaking of here is the reintroduction of that spiritual nature into us. Christ had it all along. When he died, we died with him. When he's resurrected, we will be resurrected with him. We will have that same spiritual nature. Okay, that's, that's what Paul is getting at. And that's why it's so important to just stop and try to think these things through. Um, I feel like I'm lacking eloquence today, but it's an important thing to understand that we cannot deny a physical resurrection of Christ. That is one of the heresies. There's about 10 of them that I put up on the board a while ago. The incarnation, the, um, let's see here, uh, the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, Trinity is tied up in the deity of Jesus Christ, but we'll just leave that off. We've got the virgin birth. We've got the resurrection of Christ, a literal resurrection. You've got the return of Jesus Christ. You've got the all-sufficient atonement of Christ. You've got these several doctrines, which are very, very important that you don't miss on them. When you miss on those, then you will you will have bad theology. You'll be down a wrong path. Anyway, um, we'll go on. It says, um, Jesus was born uh, spiritually alive, and yet his physical body died. But he came out of the tomb with an eternal physical body, okay? He never spiritually died. Only his physical body died. Paul says that we shall bear the same likeness. This is the majestic and glorious promise of eternal life for all who believe. We shall be as was intended at the beginning. That's Everything is looking forward to the restoration of all things. You've got Genesis. This is lost. This is lost. This is lost. Revelation 22. It's brought back. It's brought back. It's brought back. Everything that was lost is reinstated plus because we have the knowledge of God that we never would have had before we have the glory of what God was willing to do for us which we never could have appreciated okay if Adam and Eve had simply not sinned and lived forever which wouldn't have happened but if they could have they never could have appreciated the depth of the love of God for his creation or his creatures in creation if they if, by not knowing what Christ has done for us so we'll have so much more than they actually had even though we'll have the same wonderful things that they had as well. So, um, 
Uh, let's see here. We shall be as was intended at the beginning, a soul body unity. What's the doctrine of soul body unity? I've said it before. Anthropomorphic, which means the study of man, hylomorphism, the dual nature of man, soul body unity. Okay. Um, let's see here. Um, it uh, will have a soul body unity, which is spiritually alive. That's the reconnection that we receive when we are uh, call on Christ. And remember, that is something that is defined in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The reconnection is made. It is a guarantee. I know that people don't like that. Especially, I've noticed that people that come out of Catholicism, there's usually two branches of it. One branch is the branch that says, um, I can't believe the grace of God in Christ. I don't have to do anything in order to be saved. And then you have the second branch that says, I can't believe the grace of God in Christ. I need to prove my salvation through works. And that's just the guilt thing. It's the guilt thing. That's exactly what it is. But there's this dividing line. Then these people cling to the fact that if you're not doing good works, you're not saved. Or that if you uh, somehow fall away from God, you can lose your salvation. And I see this again and again. There's this dividing line between the two. And you need to drop that guilt. You need to completely erase it. If somebody is saved, God has made a promise. He has made a guarantee. His faithfulness is not conditional on our faithfulness or unfaithfulness. His faithfulness is. It doesn't change. It doesn't waver. It doesn't ask us to do something that we are incapable of doing. If I get, you know, uh, if I fall back into my old ways, it doesn't change God's faithfulness at all. Hence, Israel. All you need to do is look at Israel to understand that. They completely departed from him. They were exiled and he brought him back. And they completely departed from him. And they're still not right with them, but he made a covenant and he brought them back. All you need to do is look at God's at things from God's perspective, not your own. When you look at things from God's perspective, he doesn't change. If he saved you, you are saved. Okay, that's the good news. Yes. But people don't want to know that. I know people that have, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. I'll it, it bet just, you that the heavenly body, spiritual body, will not be. It, no, whatever it's going to be made of, it's going to be pretty wonderful. And it's, it, you know, now you got to think about that though. He made Adam from the dust of the earth. Correct. Okay. And so it could be made of something like that. And the reason why I say that is because Adam couldn't live forever if he didn't sin. So it may be that we're going to be made of the same substance that Adam was made of, but now we have the, the eternal spiritual reconnection to God. So I don't want to say that definitely. It's just a but thought, a passing thought I had. I'm and not, I think not. I thought that too. I thought right. that exact same thing while I was reading this. I thought, no, I don't want to say that because, and then I thought that. Well, yeah, well, anyway, it, but it is true. It, it, we don't want to admit that maybe there's a, a, a because look at Christ mm -hmm. he was resurrected in the same body that he went into the grave in and he was a son of Adam mm -hmm. okay now obviously when you look at him, him portrayed in the book of Revelation he is portrayed in the most magnificent way possible mm -hmm. but he's still a resurrected body so I don't know how all that fits in I, I, I don't I, either but it's yeah. just, it seems that the, 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 the being made of dust of the earth which was a creation which you know, even though nobody wants to think of the bigger picture, but like the earth will fade away. Oh, yeah, like it will. Our bodies fade away. That's right. So, but we're not going to. We're, we're I, never going to fade. That's why. Yeah, I'm it's very it's, hard. It's very hard to place it all in. But once again, he wouldn't have faded away if he didn't sin. So it's hard to, to, yeah. to figure yeah. it out. The Bible doesn't really answer that for us. And, and Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, we don't know what we're going to be like. 
but we will be like him. Right. That's it's guaranteed, so it doesn't matter. Guaranteed, it doesn't <laughs> matter. That's right. Now, Pat is not here again. Has anybody heard oh, from her? That's right. No, I haven't. She, uh, she and Cindy went to um, where Cindy went to school, Columbia. Okay, so they're, oh, they're, they're she's not there. sick. Her daughter, no, her okay. daughter's up there. And oh, I need. I guess I need to share you some good news. We had this young man that came to our church. Can we do it later? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I just, I wanted to know because if somebody, if no, I didn't know, I would call her tonight and see fine. if she, okay. I just wanted to make sure. They need to start yeah. telling us when they're going to travel. Yeah. You know, when people travel and they don't take, it, it, it's worried. really, yeah, you, you worry, especially yeah. when you, you don't know. And I don't want to call the first week and bother somebody if they had something, you know, family right. visiting or somebody, but it's, you know, two Bible studies and a, a, a sermon Service, and yeah. she never misses anything. So I don't want her to be, anyway, um, That's good uh, let's you. see here. We have, um, uh, spiritually alive, he came out of the tomb, eternal physical body. Paul says that we shall bear the same likeness. This is the majestic and glorious promise of eternal life for all who believe. We shall be as was intended at the beginning, a soul body unity. I know I've read this already, I'm just re, re going over it, and ready to face eternity without the fear of ever dying again. Okay, a little life application will go on. Believing family and friends get sick and die. Okay, we've all gone through that. We're all going to go through it again unless the Lord comes. Okay, and we shall too unless the Lord comes for us at the rapture. That is a guarantee. It's one thing that Elon Musk and all of these people that are trying to find ways of getting out of death, they are going to face it. They will never, never beat the, the game and get out of death unless they come to Jesus Christ and they happen to be raptured. If the Lord doesn't come for us for a thousand years, which is unlikely, but I'm not here to speculate on it. We're going to die, and we're going to be planted in the ground, and we're going to wait for him to call on us, okay? Once again, I'm, I, I think he's probably very, very close to coming, but I'm not here to deceive people. You know, like I said, the Seventh-day Adventist back in the 1840s says he's coming, and he didn't, and what they do? They just made up new theology, and you had the Millerites, and I think that was them. You have all of these groups of people that have said the Lord is coming in the 1800s, and sure, he's coming in 1917, and definitely he's coming in 1942, and it's gone on and on and on and on and on. And all we do is make ourselves look stupid. Mm -hmm. That's all we do is make ourselves look stupid. We want to not worry about that. Know the theology. Know what the what you believe, pre-trib, mid-trib, whatever. But don't worry about when it's going to happen. It is going to happen. The Lord's word will stand firm. Okay? Um, they're going to die. We're going to die unless we're taken out to rapture. There's a difference between the believer and the non-believer. We shall be 100% guaranteed this is as sure as Thomas's eyes seeing Christ and putting his hand into his side. 100% guaranteed, raised to life, and we shall dwell in the presence of God for all eternity, ever searching out his wisdom and glory. So stand fast in this truth and give God the glory for what he has done and what he shall do. No, no way around it, okay? It is going to happen. If you're struggling with pains and trials and troubles, they will end, okay? It, it, they will end, and we will be someday in such a wonderful thing, we will never consider what we went through again. It, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata, we were talking about her earlier, and she's going through a miserable life, but she will be raised to glory, and she will be in a body that will never wear out. She won't even even think about the, the pain that she went through. She'll be so excited about seeing God and searching out his majesty that she's not going to think about it. Same with all of us. All right, 6-6, six, six, go ahead. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Okay, little different, not much, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Very, very close, except a couple words. This verse has to be taken in conjunction with the preceding verse to clearly grasp what Paul is saying. So I'm going to read them together. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Knowing this, Paul's words, knowing this is a statement of absolute surety. Every person who is called on Christ should, in fact, bear this in mind with full understanding. Our old man was crucified with him. The people that we are, we're still here today, aren't we? We all have the same thoughts we had before coming to Christ. We have the same inclinations and the urges. He's going to talk more about that in chapter 7. But we are the same person. He's talking about our old man, though, who we were in relation to God's law, who we were in relation to uh, our spiritually dead state. It is gone. It is crucified with him. That's what he's speaking of, okay? Um, <clears throat> our old man was crucified with him. Jesus went to the cross, and he died for sins that he didn't commit, thus becoming our substitute for God's wrath, okay? Now, seeing as how I, I mentioned the atonement of Christ and that he died for our sins, I told this to Burke, and I'm not going to go through it now because it would take us another 30 or 40 minutes to get through this. But I'm going to mention it on the sermon on Sunday. I want you to think about it. Okay, because somebody emailed me this question. It's funny, they emailed me probably three or four weeks ago, and I sent him an answer, which was not fully complete, but he watches the sermon, so he'll get it this Sunday. But his question was, the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I think, says that he made him, God made him, Jesus, he made him to, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He made him sin. Okay, so I just want you to think about this. Don't get into a conversation about it right now because I'll answer it on Sunday in the sermon. But if he made Christ sin and the wages of death is sin, then why did Christ come out of the grave? Okay, do you see the logic there? If he made him our sin, then why did he come out of the grave? He had our sin. What is it about him that allowed him to come out of the grave? Okay. It's difficult, isn't it? It'll be answered, believe it or not, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 10, right at the end of the chapter. He didn't make him sin as a verb. He made, he him, made him sin. He carried. made him sin. He made him yeah, that's right. He, sin. That's right. But if he made him our sin, if he took on our sin. Yeah, but that's just but like an animal and a sacrifice. They didn't do the sin, but they're taking away the sin of the people back then. But the right? animal died, and it didn't come back to life. Well, the blood yeah. of bulls and goats could not take away sin anyway. Right. But the question I, stands, I told you, I don't want to get into oh, it now, right. because well, it's, it's it. very complicated, <laughs> and it, we'd be here for another hour. But I want you to think about that. Why did he come out of the grave if God made him sin? Because the animal was killed in place of right. the human, right? It right. took on his sin. Right. It is answered. It's answered in the book of Leviticus, believe it or not. That's why the book of Leviticus is so absolutely important understanding. And I'm going to tell you what, the verses that I base this on are, I'll even read them to you and then we'll get back into this. And I just want you to think about this until that sermon. Every single commentator that I read, even Burke Carrico, when he said, well, here's the reason why. And I said, no, that's not the reason why. And uh, it, right? And then uh, it's very interesting. Okay. All the commentators give their opinion on these verses. 
and all of them are wrong except one guy had a very insightful, a very astute observance of this, and it led me to understanding exactly what's going on. I'm going to read you these verses. Um, verse, we'll start in verse 16, 10, 16. It says, Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering. It was supposed to be eaten by the priests. And it says, um, and there it was, burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the son, sons of Aaron, who were left saying, why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place? Okay, since it is most holy and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. See, its blood was not brought into the holy place, which is a requirement for if it's brought into the holy place, the animal is to be taken outside the camp and burned. If it was brought, uh, if it was not brought into the holy place, then the priests were to eat it. But he said, see, its blood was not brought into the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, look, this is where all commentators get this wrong, 19 and 20. Look, this day, if they had offered their sin offering and their burn offering before the Lord, and if such things had befallen me, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So Moses heard that he was content, okay? That's, that's, that right there explains the, the dilemma of why Christ could come out of the grave even though he was made sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's very, very interesting. Got to tell you what, if you don't watch that sermon, it's your loss because Paul is addressing it right now in the book of Romans. It's interesting, isn't it, Burke? Yes. Love this stuff because everything points to Christ. Everything. Okay. Um, Let's see here. We're going to be like him in his resurrection. Our old man is crucified. The body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Knowing this is a statement of surety, as Paul said, every person who is called on Christ should, in fact, bear this in mind with full understanding. Our old man was crucified. Jesus went to the cross and died for sins he didn't commit. I'm going through this again so you can remember it. Thus becoming our substitute for God's wrath. He didn't die of a heart attack nor some other quick and normal way. Rather, he was crucified for us. Paul here compares the death of our old man to this. He doesn't say that our old man died with him. Instead, he is making a one-to-one -one comparison of the death of our old man with the cross of Christ. Important to understand, the wrath of God was placed on the cross of Christ, and we died with him in that. The wrath is spent. Once again, what do, you, what do you get from that? If you've called on Christ, and if the wrath has been spent, then what? My, what? my debt is paid. From sin. Your debt is paid, eternal salvation. Mm -hmm. You can never lose your salvation. Even every time you look at a verse that Paul writes, if you just think it through to its end, you will always come up with the doctrine of eternal salvation. Plus, the book of Hebrews explicitly says that he is the author of temporary salvation, right? <laughs> Wrong. He says eternal salvation. Every single precept that we read in this book will always tell us the same thing, that Christ died, it is final, it is full, and it is forever. Oh, I like that. Three Fs. Wow. Okay. Um, so, uh, stated another way, our death to sin is a long, horrifying trial, which we all have gone through, and some continue to go through. It can't be said that we called on Christ and suddenly stopped sinning. No, we carried into our death addictions, perversions, disorders, and unhealthy lives. Calling on Christ sent that wretched state to its crucifixion, where the old corrupt man was slain. Our sin debt was dealt with immediately, 
but the sinful life in the old man is treated in an ongoing process. Once again, Romans 7. All right, when the agony of leaving this old man is behind, which I hope is soon, the sin nature is dead and a new direction comes in all of its splendor. This is why the term with him, with him, crucified with him is used. The verb is tied directly to crucified. We are crucified just as he was. It's done, folks. It is done. You are saved. If you're struggling with that doctrine, just read the book of Romans. Don't do anything else for a, a week and read the book of Romans like 10 times. Just keep reading it. Listen to it as you drive, and you will. the more you listen to it, the more it will be ingrained in you, and you will start to understand the glory of what God did for you in Christ. And the other one is the book of Hebrews. They're like these bookends. I know Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, but it explains all of these things that Christ went through from the Old Testament perspective. It doesn't give all the detail that you're going to get from Charlie Garrett's sermons, which ties all of it together from Hebrews and from the, uh, that was a little plug for people to watch. I was sitting here complaining again the day to Burke. I said, you know what? We get on the Prophecy Update how many views every week and how many views do we get on the sermons? And it is a vast difference between the two. And it breaks my heart. If it was the opposite, I would be so happy because people would be spending the time, the hard work that's necessary to understand what God has done in Christ, Old Testament and New. It may seem boring, it may seem repetitive, but every single sermon that we do will have at least one or two really important nuggets. And this week is no different. It's going to have some wonderful nuggets, and then we're going to get into some really cool stuff. Wow. Oh, man. Oh, can't Narrow wait. path. Narrow path. That's right. But it's a hard path if you want to study it now. You want to get it all later in heaven, then go ahead and have a good time now. But you are the one that is cheating yourself. You're the one that's cheating yourself by not studying hard and proper. You know what? I'll stop right now and tell you something. It's not just things that I type, and it's not just things that I want people to know this for a reason. I got sent something by someone yesterday, and it was so marvelous. I actually called Israel, and I interrupted my friend in Israel, Sergio, to tell him this one thing. It is so marvelous. Burke, he does his studies on things. He did a study on the 22nd Psalm, right? Third, third. I'm sorry, 23rd Psalm, which Sergio noticed happens to be right after the 22nd Psalm, which makes it all the more important if you think about it. Think about that now. Anyway, he was like, this follows right after the Lord's cross. In the 23rd Psalm, he says, um, let me read you some of the verses. This, I know this is a little sidetracked, but I'm getting to the point of why you should study the Bible, why you should go through the hard work, why you should read other people's commentaries, why you should meditate on Scripture. Listen, I had never thought of this in a million years. I never would have thought of this, and yet it's as clear, it's as obvious as it can be. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Yehovah ro'i lo echsar. I shall not be uh, uh, in want. The Lord is my shepherd. That title, the Lord is my shepherd, defines everything else that we are going to see that he sent me yesterday. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, okay? Um, uh, he leads me beside the still waters. Which one was it? It was Jehovah, um, uh, uh, hang on, the Lord is my banner, the Lord is my, oh, Jehovah Shalom. All of these Old Testament names that the Lord claims for himself are all defined in the 23rd Psalm. He makes me to lie down in, uh, by, the, in the, by the still waters. Jehovah Shalom, he is my peace. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jehovah Tzikenu, the Lord my righteousness from the book of Jeremiah. 
right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Which one was that? Jehovah, uh, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You anoint my head with oil. Jehovah Makadesh, the Lord uh, my, uh, uh, what is it, my, my consecration or my sancti sanctification. Anyway, you know what I'm saying is David took the names of the Lord and he put them into a psalm. And guess what? Some of them were not claimed by the Lord until after David was dead, right? Jehovah mm -hmm. Tzikenu actually came from Jeremiah after it. But the Lord was using David to reveal his names in the Old Testament in the 23rd Psalm. It's a masterpiece. There's about, what, seven of them I think there were? It is astonishing. I've never, I could have read the 23rd Psalm the rest of my life and never found that. If you want that, if you're online and you're listening and you want that, email me and I'll send it to you. I didn't think of it. Burke sent it out to me. He got it from a guy named Wearsby, right? Wearsby. Wearsby. Marvelous, marvelous commentary. That is what the reward is in studying the Bible, is to know the Lord in an in-depth and intimate way. It's all based on him being Yehovah Roi, the Lord is my shepherd. And all of those other names are tied into that beautiful picture right there. Oh, what, a, what a gem. I'm telling you, the Bible is just marvelous. Didn't mean to, to get onto a distraction, but I just can't stop talking about it. But, but oh. don't, don't leave your thought dangling there. Why is it so interesting that it's following? Oh, because he confirmed in the cross of Christ in the 22nd Psalm that Jesus is the Lord and then he is the one that David is speaking about in all of these other things. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Makadesh, uh, uh, Makadesh, uh, 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 holiness. The Lord is my holiness or whatever. Yeah, the Lord is my peace. The Lord is my, uh, all of these things the Lord is are all tied up and it follows right after the cross of Christ. Oh, it's marvelous. Anyway, um, yeah, didn't mean to leave you dangling. So uh, here we are. Um, uh, where was I? We're in six or seven. What verse are we in right now? Uh, seven. Oh, is what we're, you're in six. Now. Okay, we're in six. So seven. I'll finish that up. Okay, so we have, um, um, oh, I turned the page. That's why I didn't know I'm on a new paragraph. Uh, this happened so that the body of sin might be done away with. I said that. If we understand our guilt before God, which was removed because of Jesus' work, then our hearts should be broken at the sin that we have committed and continue to commit. When you do something wrong, do you regret it? Do you really, do you talk to the Lord about it? I know I do. Every time I do something stupid or something, I, I just think, Lord, you know, it should break our hearts. We shouldn't say, well, you know, there is a teaching that the sins that we commit after coming to Christ are under the blood and we shouldn't be concerned about them. And I am completely opposed to that doctrine. That goes back to a guy named, especially a watchman, me. Now, I'm not saying he's a heretic or anything, but he, the idea is that, that it's covered. We don't need to confess it, okay? And it's true. We do not need to confess our sins because they're already forgiven in Christ. But we should have so much remorse in our hearts for offending the Lord that we should confess right. yeah. it. Okay. I I totally agree with you there. Completely. First John one. He says if we confess our sins and blah blah blah. We need to get ourselves cleansed and we need to get back right with God. It is true that they are forgiven. I'm, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't. I'm saying that they are forgiven and that if we don't ask for forgiveness. The problem is that the fellowship is lost, and that is what John is speaking of. Right. I, I am opposed to the doctrine that says that we don't need to act as if our sins are somehow hampering us from the okay. Lord, because so, they are. So Christ died for all sins, past, present, and future, That's right. on the cross. Why would you want to 
add to that. Exactly. Why would you want to add to the, the it, it ought to break our hearts that we have uh, uh, offended God in this way. You're right. All sins are, are, are forgiven, but why do we want to add on to that after we've called on Christ? Okay? That's the point, and that's a, a, the exact point that we should carry with us. Okay? He was nailed to the cross. Although not yet dead, the certainty of death came at that moment. The body ceased to move freely. Okay? He's on the cross. Because it was bound, he had to struggle for each breath. His body became weaker and weaker, and eventually the life left it. This is the picture that we are to get out of our own body of sin, doing away with it for Christ's sake, just as he went to the cross for our sake. We want to get this body of sin out of us. We don't want it to continue on. We don't want to keep pushing against the nails. We want to let it go, be done with the body of sin. And as I said, Paul will talk about that much more in detail in the next chapter. The process of doing away with the body of sin is that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's Paul's words. In the coming verses, Paul is going to show us that as people, we are either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. The magnitude of what Christ did for us demands that we place the highest priority on becoming slaves of righteousness and not living as slaves to sin. We can. It's not going to change our salvation. Paul makes that abundantly clear elsewhere, but it is we who will suffer both in this life and in the loss of rewards in the next life. If you don't believe me, just read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll define it for you. It's about this long. It'll take you 30 seconds to get through, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. There's no point in letting that type of life continue on, okay? Life application. Whether you've been a Christian for one week or for 20 years, and I got to tell you, some Christians that have been Christians for one week are a lot more holy than the Christians that have been Christians for 20 years, right? Because they suddenly come to Christ and they realize what he did for them. It hasn't dulled down on them yet. They haven't let it fall by the wayside. And they are the holiest group of people you ever see. But eventually you forget and you get back in your old ways, whatever. Anyway, whether you've been a Christian for a week or 20 years, you may be struggling with the sin of the past. The struggle is one which may be agonizing and which weighs your soul down. But remember that Jesus went to a literal cross to pay your sin debt. The agony which is refining you is not unknown to God, nor does he not empathize with you. He knows your trial, and he is with you through it, right? Everybody should understand it. Yes? You said sin kept, in your analogy there on the cross, it kept. It kept him nailed to the cross. Jesus said... Uh, it is finished. He gave up the ghost. That's right. Says. I think uh, Luke says he gave up the ghost. Right. He, he laid it down. So sin didn't kill him. He dismissed his life. That's right. He he gave up his own yeah, life he gave voluntarily. Up his life. Yes. That's right. So he yielded he, his soul. The, Albert Barnes does a great commentary the, on that the, word uh, that he uses. The, uh, acceptance of God of what he did. Was, That's right. Was already, he already knew this. So he dismissed it. It was done. That's and right. He said it is finished. That's exactly sin right. Has been paid. Right. So, but the sin is what put him there in the first sin place. Sin did put. Yes. That's our right. Our sin put him there. Our sin put yeah, him there, exactly. and he struggled until the final, yes. until the full payment was made. But that's right. He willingly and voluntarily gave up his life when the debt was paid. He knew the time, and he gave you it. You know up. the things that we don't yeah. want to ever talk about, the awful stuff that goes on. He did. He endured that. That's right. And and it's just. It's beyond me that how he could do that for me. 
for me, for you, for, for people that we look at and we say, you know what, I, I hate to compare myself to anybody because I'm just as bad as can be, but you know, you look at a guy like Jeffrey Dahmer that killed people and ate him and he became a Christian in jail, right? I mean, think of the amount of grace that there is in God that he would take somebody like that. I and I became a Christian, that was one of the first questions I had because of that. Oh, yeah. I couldn't, I had such a hard time understanding. How can you understand the depth of the, the love of God that he would forget somebody of that, but he will. Well, There's no Paul sin. Paul is a shiny example of that. He oh, considered, yeah. He considered, we don't know how many people he said, kill him. That's right. You know? Kill him. He, 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 he admits that, it that in his, his own purpose. writings. That was his purpose. That's right. And he forgave Paul, and yeah. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. He knew it. I'm the first. Yeah. So, all right, let's go on. Six, seven. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That's very close. Almost the same. Four, it says here. You say because, but all right. Verse 6 7. Care must be taken when evaluating yes, Romans 6 7. So. <laughs> okay. We are told that he who has died has been freed from sin. What it was it that died? We're still physically alive and in our fallen bodies. We have not yet received the glorified bodies promised to us. One must return to 518 through 521 to remember the context. In Adam, man died spiritually because of one misdeed. In Christ, we are born again spiritually because of his work. We are told also that the law was introduced that sin might abound, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Paul tells us. This is further explained in Colossians chapter 2. Let me take you there really quickly. Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read, uh, here it is, 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, speaking to Gentiles, he is made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What is the handwriting he's talking about? Uh, the law of Moses. You know what? Go to the Seventh-day Adventist site. That's one of the things that I uh, sent on to that guy that asked that question today. Seventh-day Adventist, we've got to observe this law. We've got to observe this law. We've got to observe this law. Right there in their, the front page of their site. You have to dig, but once you find it, it's right there. Reinserting the law where the law is annulled in Christ. We don't eat certain foods that are forbidden under the law. We don't do this. Well, which one are you going to pick? You're going to pick this law and you're going to pick this one, but you don't observe this and this. There's 613 laws and they picked about 50 of them and said, we have to do this. Insane. Absolutely crazy, but that's what happens. People get oh, the Sabbath is the main one of them. Yeah, she called it the greatest of all of his commandments, and you know, just it's just crazy. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, that Colossians two thirteen and fourteen. Sin came about by the introduction of the law. One law for Adam, but still the law. Right? There was only one one command, but he broke it. Paul has already explained that through the law is the knowledge of sin. And where there is no law, there's no transgression, right? Everybody got that? If there's no law, there's no transgression. You got no speed limit out there, you can drive as fast as you want. I was in a couple states or that slow. used, or as slow as you want, that's right. Yeah, if you want to do that. Um, I don't know why anybody would want to drive slow when they can go fast, but that's beyond me. But uh, yeah, a, um, uh, Christ has taken away the power of sin 
by taking away the handwriting of the commandments which was against us. There's no power in the law because it died and is nailed to the cross with him. The law is what was nailed to the cross. Jesus is the embodiment of the law. Go back and watch the Leviticus sermons, or I'm sorry, the Exodus sermons about the tabernacle. It's as clear as it can be. When he was crucified, the power of the law was removed completely, wholly, absolutely. We have died to this same law through our uniting with Christ. Thus, we are free from the law's constraints. Why people can't get that? The Seventh-day Adventists and the Hebrew Roots Movement and all of these people reinserting the law. We're going to pick this law and we're going to pick that, but that one doesn't matter. It's done. It is one unified body. It is the law. Break one, it's broken. If he died for the law, it's gone. Okay? Thus, we are free from the law's constraints. This, however, doesn't mean that we have been freed from sin's presence, only its penalty. The law has no jurisdiction over someone who has died. We have died with God, with Christ. We are in Christ, and so it has no jurisdiction over us. It's done. The law is done. But we can still suffer from sin's penalty, right? You committed sins of, that were against the law before you came to Christ, right? You still carry the marks with you. Drank too much, we carry the, the, the screwed up, what is it, liver? liver Kidney, liver. liver. Uh, all of these things you carry with us. You're not free of the, the penalty yet. Okay, this is what Paul is, I'm sorry, you're free of the penalty, but you're not free from sin's presence and the effects of it in you. This is what Paul is explaining today. He is not saying that we can not sin. He is saying that sin and its consequences have no judicial power over us. Okay, that's what he's speaking about. The teaching which from time to time creeps in that states that we can be sinless in this life, and that's uh, holiness, Pentecostal, Pentecostal holiness, uh, they teach that there are other denominations which teach you can become sinless in this life. It's absolutely wrong. That is completely wrong. John Gill rightly speaks to our state in Christ. Here's what he said. Such are freed from sin, not from the being of it, nor from the burden of it, nor from a continual war with it, nor from slips and falls into it. No, not even freed from it in the most solemn services and acts of religion, but they are freed from the dominion of it, from the servitude to it, and also from the guilt of it, and from obligation to punishment on account of it. That's John Gill. That's absolutely right. We are never sinless in this life, but we are freed from the guilt of it and all that is comprised in that. Come on up. Where do you want to put down? Just there? right there on that black chair so I can smell it. All righty. Now, just so you know, this was paid for by somebody. They sent money that attend online. Here you go. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Enjoy. And, uh, you Enjoy. know, you should pay me. It's such a it's such a close walk. You ought to pay me for uh, having you bring them down. Right. Dang it. Okay, get out of here. Have a great night. You too. Um, yeah, uh, William and Patty, and I hope I pronounced their name wrong. It's O-C-E-L-L-O. Ocello? Ocello. I was thinking maybe Italian Ocello. Anyway. Very nice people, okay? And they paid for our pizza tonight. And uh, guess what? They sent enough for another night of pizza, too. So once again, Nicole is not here. It's yes, guaranteed that if we have pizza, she is not going to be here. Guaranteed. So she's not here, and we're having pizza. And I want to thank William and Patty so much for that. And um, we'll, we're going to cut the class a little bit short so that doesn't get uh, cold. But um, here we go. Let me finish up this particular verse, and uh, let me see how long is 6, 8. Are we going to have time? Yeah, we'll do 682 and then we'll be done. Um, uh, we got, um, uh, so I read the, the quote from John Gill. Those denominations and teachers 
who lead their flock down the path of assuming they can become perfect in this life have a fundamentally flawed view of the natural man with whom we are and with will continue to be at war with. And if they think that they can beat out uh, uh, sin in this life, all they need to do is read Paul's words of Romans chapter 7, right? And then you ask them, are you better than Paul? Are you somehow better than the Apostle Paul? Because he couldn't do it, right? Well, He's, first John again. Well, first John again, it. absolutely. It's we just, say we haven't sinned, we lie. We lie, that's absolutely right. We, we show ourselves to be liars. So um, uh, where were we? Uh, they have a fundamentally flawed view of the natural man with whom we are and will continue to be at war with. The physical body did not die, and our physical body remains fallen until the day when a new one is given. Therefore, to claim that a sinless state can be obtained in this fallen body can only lead to disappointment, disillusionment, and neuroses of the soul who continues to struggle with sin, wondering why they alone have such trials when in fact all do. Anybody that says that they've attained sinlessness is a liar. Don't hang around with them. The three Ps are good to remember when evaluating sin. We have three Ps. One, we die to sin being reborn through Jesus. We die to sin's penalty. Talked about that a minute ago. This is immediate and it is eternal in nature. The penalty is done. Salvation is eternal. End of story. Two, as we grow in holiness and sanctification, we die to sin's power. This is ongoing until we die. The more that we mortify the flesh, the more we gain power over sin in our life. Okay? We may or we may not do it. It does not change the penalty part at all. If we don't defeat sin and gain the power over it, it doesn't change our penalty. The justification is one time, it is for all time. But we will struggle in this life, and if we don't try to get over it, then we're the ones that will suffer, both in this life and, as I said earlier, a loss of rewards. And three, when we are glorified, we will be completely removed from sin's presence. presence. Absolutely. This will be our eternal state. Only when our fallen bodies are transformed to his likeness will this state be realized in its fullness. It's done. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. Life application, where there is no law, there is no transgression. If there is no law, there is no transgression. The law died with Christ. We died in Christ. We are dead to the law. Paul says it several times in Romans. He says it in Colossians. He says it elsewhere. The book of Hebrews says it explicitly three times and implicitly 45 times or 50 times. It says it again and again. How somebody can come up with the conclusion that you can go back under the law when you died to the law and be held accountable and lose your salvation is impossible for me to understand. Simply read the Bible. Pick it up and read it and stop listening to people that say that you can lose your salvation. You cannot. Impossible. Okay? Uh, where were we? He fulfilled the law on our behalf, and then he died in fulfillment of that law. It was nailed to the cross. When we receive the work of Christ, we die to that same law once for all time. It is done. Sin no longer has the ability to accuse us because we are dead to the law, which gives sin its power. Thanks be to God for the work of Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you, somebody that used to just give me the most grief in the world, constant source of grief about losing your salvation. If you don't have works to prove that you're saved, then you're not saved. On and on and on and on. And finally, it just ended. We had a complete departure. And what did he do? He sent me a prayer that he says, I typed this up. This is a prayer. And it was, Lord, show me if um, this doctrine is true, blah, blah. And then what did he do? He started introducing his own concepts of 
uh, losing your salvation into the prayer. So he's praying that the Lord show him that he's right. You will never, never convince the Lord when you introduce your own theology into your prayer and say, Lord, show me if I'm wrong. When you've already convinced yourself that you're right in your own prayer, the Lord, that, that kind of prayer is going to go nowhere with you. Understand that you are saved forever, okay? Your rewards may be diminished, but your salvation will never be lost. A done story, okay? Well, he'll get the experience that what he was saying in his prayer. Oh, absolutely. Living underneath the, the bridge yeah. in heaven. It's like, yeah, living well, underneath. There you go. Yeah, that, you were wrong. You, you've earned your, that's right. Okay, we do have time. 6A, go ahead. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Yay. Okay, if we died with Christ, we will also live with him. This verse is taken in context with 6.5 through 6.11. Okay, you really have to read the whole thing. We're not going to do it. It's speaking not so much of the physical resurrections of our bodies, which is yet future, but the right now life which has been granted. It is the spiritual life which was lost at Adam's time. This is certain because sin is what caused the spiritual death. Physical death resulted from the spiritual death. Okay, I say that at the end of almost every sermon, right? I say it again and again and again. We die spiritually in Adam. Unless we get the spiritual death resolved before our physical death, we will remain spiritually dead for all eternity. You must get that rectified before your physical death, which is also a result of sin. Okay? Um, uh, where was I here? Resurrect spiritual life, which was lost at Adam's time. It's certain because sin is what caused the spiritual death. Physical death resulted from spiritual death. And Paul speaks of our death to sin during these seven verses. Now, he says or as a result of what has been said. That's what he's saying in verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, is speaking about our death to sin, it being crucified with him. We believe it is of faith in God's word and actions through Christ that we stand certain of what has been accomplished. We believe it is done. We believe it. We hold firm to that. And then he says that we shall also live with him. We are positionally in the new state already, and our hope and our faith stands in the fact that it will be realized at some point, actually in the future. That's what I stressed earlier. It, 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 hope isn't something nebulous. It's not something dubious. Hope that we have as Christians is grounded. It's an anchor for our soul. It is something that is as sure as the chair that we're sitting on or the ground under our feet. It's not something that we say, I hope. It is the object. It's, I have hope. Okay? It's a completely different thing. So how can we know that this is in position at this time, but not actually obtained, going back to holiness, Pentecostalism, or whatever? The answer is that our physical, mortal bodies do what? They still die. That's right. Proof right there. Proof that we are still in a body that can sin and does sin is because our bodies still die. Okay? That's absolute proof right there. You don't need to go any further, but we all go to funerals of saved loved ones, and each of us is heading there too, unless the Lord comes first. If somebody could become sinless in this life, we wouldn't be going to their funeral, but we've been going to their funerals for 2,000 years. If we were actually glorified and sinless, this would not be the case. The fact that our spiritual life is regenerated the moment we come to Christ is where our hope lies. Not in a certainty that we are now sinless. We are clothed in Christ, covered by him, and awaiting our final state. The surety of the sealing of the Holy Spirit is the surety that we, like Christ, will come forth 
from our graves to eternal physical life as well as spiritual life that we now possess. Okay, everybody got that? Mm -hmm. This is the great hope of every believer. We shall not only live forever, but we will do it in a physical body and in a sinless state. Coming some glorious day to a resurrection near you. Okay? Life application and we are done. The surety of Christ is the promise of eternal life. Though we will miss our departed loved ones, we know that those who have received Christ are only gone from the body, but not gone forever. They are with Christ awaiting the moment when we shall all be raised together at the sound of the glorious trumpet. Great stuff. Okay? Burke, you going to close us out today? Well, he says in Romans 8, that he predestinated us, he called us. Yes. He justified past, us. Past, all past. And glorified, glorified us, you know, all past. It, it, he sees it as a complete act. That's right. It's one act in God's mind. If it's not one act in God's mind, then God isn't the God of the Bible because everything in him is done immediately and intuitively, not in a progression. It's given in a progression for us because we are in the stream of time. But to him, it is a done deal. If it's a done deal, then it is... Guaranteed. A done deal. That's right. It's guaranteed. Absolutely. Go ahead, Bert. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word, the truth in your word, for your life that you gave for us. We ask that you would help us as we look into it, that you would lead us with your spirit. Right now. Mm -hmm. We ask your blessings on these people who furnish the means for the food tonight, and your blessings on the food in our lives, that we would glorify you, Jesus Amen. All right, let's turn this baby back and have you uh, say goodbye to the folks right here. Uh, now, where did Miss Susan Garrett go? Anybody? She said she had to go to eat at the uh, Thai restaurant. Oh, so she bailed and out she on us. She sent you an email. Oh, well, she sends emails, and she knows I come here at 1 o'clock to start cleaning, and she sends them at like 3 o'clock. Does me no good at all. Okay, here we go. Say goodbye to the folks online. We love you. Forget the argument about my mom. She does this all the time. All right. Turn that baby off. Turn that off. All right. Yeah. Oh, just enough to drive me up a wall, that lady. And, you know, she's got that bag, and she's making all that noise. You know how hard it is to concentrate when things are going on? Uh, oh, that's because you're not sitting here trying to tell people about that plastic bag, and she's shoving mangoes into it. Oh, By the way, no. take mangoes home. Okay. Oh, it's driving me up a wall. It is so hard to concentrate when you were when you were doing a class and there's noise going on. Oh, oh, it's terrible. Oh, she, mom's in trouble. Yeah, because you were listening to me. It's going out. It's going.